Welcome to Supergirl's Attic, where we explore the world of CW Supergirl and analyze what we discover. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And in addition to doing this podcast, we also run a Tumblr community called SPF, the Sunshine Protection Force, which if you're interested, you can always check us out over there. And today we're going to talk about season three themes. There were a couple of major themes that were established for season three, and one of them was a pre-existing one from season two, which was looking at identity and self-understanding for pretty much every single major character in the show. Which Kara, our lead as a character, always has had some sort of identity issue. Yes, related to kind of her living in this in-between space of being from two different cultures and also literally living out two identities in her persona as both Cara Danvers and as Supergirl. So it's sort of expanding upon the superhero identity trope and making it more rich in several aspects. Yeah, and and universalizing it a little bit because you got to see some explorations of identity and people trying to figure out who they are, what they want, what they value, and what they stand for in a lot of different ways and different contexts. And a lot of those storylines were actually set up in the front six or seven episodes of season two, but those character journeys never got completed during season two. So season three, in addition to being season three, was also picking up all of those kind of hanging threads from season two and trying to bring those to completion so that we could wrap all of that up and move on into season four with a kind of clean slate. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was always going to be from season two into season three, like you said, but you sort of lost the through line in the middle there that connects it. So they had to reestablish some of these things. Yeah. And it was especially the through line on some of the supporting characters got lost a little bit. Like Kara's was still there, but Alex's got lost a little bit. Jean's not so much. James's was very minimally developed. Um and so that re- the, you kind of saw a resurgence and a reprioritizing in season three. And with identity comes along this theme of balance, which you can see with several of the characters. And especially, mostly in season three, is this theme of moving on and moving forward. And it's, it's like the next stage of the arcs that were set up in season two. Yeah, so you have... Throughout season three, all of the main characters are, in one way or another, trying to find these answers in terms of figuring out kind of who they are, what they stand for, but then also how, once they know that, how do they take that and realize it and incorporate it into their life in a way that makes sense and that also balances all their competing priorities and competing needs as as people. One of the big things we saw with a lot of the characters in season three, for example, was almost every character had some kind of underlying mental health challenge that they were kind of grappling with in addition to all the other plot elements that were happening. Um, And you also saw a lot of them very consciously kind of weighing different issues related to how they understood themselves and then making choices about what they wanted to do with their futures. And that was really where the finale ended up for almost everybody. So... Considering kind of these themes and where season three was going and where it ended up, if you start by looking at kind of, we'll take the three biggest characters, Kara, Alex, and Jean, and look at kind of where they started the season, where they ended the season, and kind of what journeys they went on emotionally throughout. So, Kara Danvers, Kara Zarel, uh, Supergirl. Starting off in season two, she establishes this relationship that represents to her normality in Monel. And she's sort of getting that white picket fence, fall in love with somebody concept that she seeks to fill the void of the grief of losing her planet. She's never felt like she can just be a normal person. She feels out of place. Mm. Um, in several aspects. So then season two presents what feels like a solution to her for one respect, romantically. And then she loses that in a way that is very specifically close to her most traumatic event in her life, <clears throat> in which she sends Monel away in a pod in the same way that she was sent away in a pod. And it's, it's literally in her pod. Exactly. And she passes her necklace to him the way that she received the necklace and... It's almost worse because 
she's it's not out of her control the way that it was when she was a kid she she's making the choice yeah she's faced with a problem she makes that decision and then well she made the choice to use the device that was going to make the the environment toxic for him yes <clears throat> and then she sends him away to save him or maybe to die <laughs> According to her headspace starting in season three. Yeah, which is what she assumed happened. Yeah. At least by the time that we get six months into her headspace, and she's kind of figured by this point that he didn't survive because he never responded to her. I, well, don't say responded because like, you know, he never, like texting. <laughs> but <laughs> well, he never reached out to her. Um it's set up in the first episode in Girl of Steel that she, there's a hint that she thinks that he died. And then in Triggers, we realize that she fears that he did die. And it also connects it back to, very tangibly back to that first dramatic event. We literally see her re-experience getting sent away in the pod and saying goodbye to her mom and seeing Krypton explode. And then later on in the episode, we see her think of it as she did that to Monel. Yes. But now he died in her mind. And that's another important thing too in terms of understanding, you know, why she was sad for so long. Um, because that was not a normal expression of grief. People who are grieving typically also like to reminisce about like happy memories and take comfort in being around their family and their friends. But Kara was pushing away all of that and her guilt was a large part of why. And then also it reawakened, as we learned in Triggers, a lot of the trauma side effects that she experienced after being out in the pod and in space. And also, you know, being conscious when she realized that she was going to be stuck in the Phantom Zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see Alex say that her um, panic attack was similar to the episodes that she had when she first landed. And we also see that whenever anybody brings up Monel. Cars, especially with um, like Lena, because it seems like it's so out of place for her. What? Um, like they're talking about oh, business. You mean because Lena's trying to find out why Kara is still being so distant and. Yeah, well, in the first episode of um, season three, she brings up how she. Well, she apologized for her part that she played in sending Monel away. And then Kara just looks so shocked that he was even mentioned. And then in the next episode, when they have that argument in the office and she brings it up and she's. Just mentioning him sets her off balance. So she can't stand to hear about Monel. And she can't stand to be Cara Danvers because Cara Danvers was that normal life that she thought she had the chance of having. So she pushes away from Cara Danvers and fully embraces Supergirl. She's in high-key Supergirl mood for the first few episodes. We see her be really competent because of how much she's focusing on it. And at the expense of all other aspects of Cara Danvers. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to remember that Supergirl is the closest thing that she can get at this point to embracing her otherness as an alien. Because she still can't be Cara Zorel, and there's no one else around her who can remind her who Cara Zorel is. Yes. But it's also funny because she, for instance, in the, in the crossover... Barry points out that cars shouldn't be any different than them, that she should be able to, even though she's a hero, have these human relationships. And he goes, um, well, what's different for you other than being an alien? And she says, I'm alone. Mm -hmm. So it's a com it's not necessarily at this stage. It it's both the fact that she, it's a different culture for her. And, and it's also that in her head, she thinks that she has to be separate and this heroic figure and that she's not supposed to have um, all the normal life things. Yep. And also a couple episodes before that, in the Midvale episode, in, this, in the scene where Eliza kind of calls Kara out for her lack of coping skills, um, <laughs> she kind of she points that out to her. She's like, you know, you're really punishing yourself for something that you know, you did the best you could and it's okay that you made a mistake or, you know, that you feel like your life is out of control or a mess. And Kara's like, no, it shouldn't be. And this is how I'm going to handle it. And I'm fine with it. And, and Eliza's like, well, you don't seem like you're happy or okay. And they leave it off with Kara promising to like reconsider. And I think you, you do realize throughout the rest of the season, she slowly does start to kind of 
recognize that maybe the way that she was handling things for herself wasn't the healthiest thing she could have done. Yeah, she gets she gets better at making the the Cara Danvers choices, like spending time with people and 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 choosing to pay attention to her her job. And she's it's sort of like choosing to try to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is something she's very much always tried to do. Generally speaking, even from her very youngest. Yes. But then the question of alienness is sort of shifted from I'm an alien, a supergirl to Cars or L, which is like the deeper level of what she has wanted this whole time. Yeah. And um, and that's interesting, too, because that's a pickup of, you know, part of her story from all the way even in season one in that scene where she and James are hanging out, punching stuff together. And she even she says flat out, you know, I thought being supergirl would help me kind of reconcile how other I feel but it all it does is remind me that nothing takes that away because I still don't have my culture I still don't have my family I still don't have you know any connection to the rest of my life before I got here yeah she still doesn't feel normal that's typically the way that she yeah phrases all that complicated (laughs) mess of um the loss of where she was meant to be and so she gets Alora back she gets Argo back Later on the season, um, and this meanwhile, it sort of shifts slowly away from being about Monel. It's still present with him, um, and she has to keep making that choice not to be like hung up on that romanticized normal life that she wanted to have with him. And then she gets Olor and she gets Argo, and Monel's also right there. And so it looks just like the dream that she had in, in the, the premiere in the premiere of season three. But the reality is that. Argo's changed, she's changed, her mother's changed, Malnell has changed, everything. She can't get exactly that normalcy that she lost. No, you're right. And it's because, and this is a natural part of everyone's life and kind of particularly if you've had kind of a, an immigration and repatriation experience, you always do feel that kind of jarring sense that you don't quite match anymore because you've been gone for such a long time and nobody's life stops in between. And it's the episode where she really spent time on Argo uh, was interesting in terms of connecting both her cultural identity issues and her PTSD. And it it sort of jumbled together into a, I just don't quite feel comfortable here. Yeah, I do wish they had spent a little more time drawing out some of the the cultural stuff. Like, we've talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did find it a little strange that they had Kara go out to dinner on Argo and not comment about the food. Yeah. Because Kara is always into food. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the part drawing out the idea that, you know, she's changed because of the result of, of always having lived kind of with a target on her back or with an awareness that bad things are happening and that she can't turn that off just because she's now somewhere else and everybody kind of looks at her like she's crazy. That part was done pretty well. Yeah. Um, and her scenes with Alora where they're kind of talking and trying to make up for lost time, I thought were also pretty good for the most part. I mean, obviously they could have been longer, but like they had to cut a lot this season because mm-hmm. there were so many stories happening. So yeah. Ultimately, I think most of what we got was effective, but I think with a little with some tweaks it could have maybe been a little stronger. Yeah. Some reprioritizing of storylines. <laughs> Not to be that person who's like less Monel, but a little bit less of the moving on from him. Mm. Because we really got that yeah. pretty quickly. We sort of understood that we got everything we needed pretty early on. Yeah, they were they were broadcasting that that was how that part of Kara's story was going to wrap up very early on in the season. And then some of the reinforcement felt redundant, at least to me. But I guess not, not, necessarily. not to everyone. Yeah. There were some people who were a little taken by surprise. We'll talk about that when we talk about Monel's journey later on. Yeah. But with Kara, she basically gets everything that she wanted. And realizes that she's grown past it in several respects, or that it's not the best fit for her. Because she, throughout the season, she's slowly been making the choice of trying to re-embrace Cara Danvers. And one turning point was when she was in her coma and, like, symbolically picks up the glasses and puts them on. And And that's the thing that gets her to unlock the door in her head and get out of the coma. Yeah. 
And that was also specifically prompted by Alex, who was the person who reminded her of how important Cara Danvers is all the way back in the premiere. Yeah. Brainy essentially gives her the message that he overheard. And through the season, I think her growth can be measured by her interactions with Alex and in some ways her support of Alex later on, mm. her ability to look back at herself and, and her her struggles and tell the Alex that it gets better. And you can you can kind of track the slow progression, which is interesting. And then the turning point at the end is the fact that she is presented with like a bastardized car as a real life. Well, she's essentially given an alternate version of the fantasy that she had in, under the Black Mercy in a way. Mm-hmm. And this, she, she essentially reached kind of the same conclusion there and came back and said, you know what, when I was sad, when I was lonely, I would fantasize about what my life would have been like if it hadn't been interrupted, if everyone I loved hadn't died, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a very natural way of coping. And I think, you know, it's a way a lot of people cope with with things that are difficult. They like to hang on to something that makes them happy that they can imagine is in like a happy universe or what have you. And she literally gets, it's telling that she literally gets a dream. come true. Yeah, her dream comes true, essentially. And then she decides, no, I still want to go back home, which is very in keeping with all the, the Wizard of Oz references that they were making all season long. Mm-hmm. And her home ends up being with Alex on that couch, which I guess could take us to Alex's journey. It's true. We we could talk about Alex now. So Alex, Alex, I we we've kind of talked about this, and I get asked about Alex a lot on Tumblr because she's a little bit hard to understand sometimes as an introvert. Yeah, she doesn't articulate necessarily what's going on in her head. She just kind of acts upon it. She'll realize something, she'll think about it a lot, and then she'll just make a decision and move on. So she kind of started out the season really entrapped in this conflict that she's always had where she wants so badly to help the people she loves and make them happy that she will go above and beyond to do what she thinks they expect of her at her own expense. Mm. And this is something that has has been a part of her character since the very beginning of the show. The scene with her and Eliza in season one explicitly calls that out and, and Alex is miserable because she's like, I always put other people before myself and it's not enough. What do I do? And so you you see early in season three, her conflict is, what do I do about that? Because she's in such a very big bind with her situation with Maggie, where she realizes there is something that she wants that's really important to her. But if she says it, she's going to lose something else that's important to her. And so her decision to end their engagement is kind of a step on the path for Alex. She's a little bit already into her kind of character journey for the season, but she takes a longer time to kind of get to the, the resolution of it. So she ultimately decides to end the engagement to Maggie, but then she spends a really long time kind of doubting herself and being depressed about, you know, what if she made the wrong choice? What if she's wrong about what she thinks she wants? Her coping skills during this phase were not not great. Yeah. They never directly called it out, but you did see a lot more of her like drinking to cope and then you see at the end of the season she starts being like I should maybe stop doing that so much but the way you see her progress throughout the season is she starts out in the wake of breaking off with Maggie she's keeping very much to herself and not really talking to anybody about kind of what's going on in her head but as the season progresses you do see her kind of start leaning leaning on her mom leaning on Kara trusting that you know they know her and they're they'll respect how she copes and they'll let her go at her own pace. Eliza even kind of tells her because Alex is stressed out in um, the Midvale episode about feeling like she's not ready to live up to the expectations for her. And her mom's like, there is no rush on it. You know, when you figure things out, everybody will be here when you're ready. And she does take that to heart. And you see her in the development of her relationship with Jean and Marin over the course of the season, kind of expanding her network of, of people. And she's coming to Jean for advice in a way that was a lot more reminiscent of season one. 
and that we didn't have so much last year. So I was really glad to see that. You also have those really nice moments with Wynn where Alex is upset and she lets him console her and even at work, which for Alex is like a big deal. And then the other big thing as far as the development of Alex is related to kind of like the thing that kicked off her whole journey was about, you know, her deeply wanting to be a parent someday. And you have her storyline with Ruby and kind of serving in this like mentor guardian role. And she has that there so she can kind of reevaluate, okay, did I really mean what I said? Or is this not what I wanted? And then maybe I can do something else. And, you know, she came away from that experience saying like, oh, no, okay, I was right. This is the thing I wanted. So now what? And then in the context of that, they were also developing a few other things with Alex that tag along with it. We saw a lot more of Alex returning to her roots as a scientist and a doctor this Mm -hmm. season. And that furthers some things that came up in season one and two, but we didn't explore too deeply where, you know, even in season one, particularly in the flashback from the Manhunter episode, she never joined the DEO because that was the thing she wanted. She only became interested in hearing what Jean had to say when he brought up the possibility of a threat to Kara. But it came to her at a point in her life where she was at a low, she wasn't happy, and it filled a space that was empty for her, and it gave her a way to feel competent, it gave her advancement and satisfaction professionally, but you do still see, even in season two, hints that maybe it was never always the thing she desperately wanted, because you had that conversation with her and Kara in, I think it was episode two, too where she points out, you know, she had had plans to become a doctor before all of that happened. And mm-hmm. she started re-embracing that in season three. And you, it came up again when she talked to Sam, when she did all the medical tests and the MRIs. So the fact that she reaches the end of the season thinking like, okay, maybe I took this job when I was 24 and kind of miserable about everything so it didn't bother me that it was me out risking my life all the time especially because I was so worried about Kara and realizing like is this really something I need to do anymore or do I need to do it all the time anymore um and so for me that felt like a really natural progression for her because she's recognizing you know that Kara is absolutely at this point her own person and can kind of handle herself mm-hmm. and Kara's always been encouraging her since season 1 to really live for herself and do the things that are important to her yeah. as opposed to kind of trying to guess what's important to the people around her so the fact that she's kind of reconsidering and is like okay I need to take you know I spent the last 4 or 5 years doing this and I don't know what else I could be doing that would give me equal satisfaction but be less dangerous wasn't a big surprise and it was cool that Jean had kind of been anticipating it and was like plot twist I'm just gonna promote you to take you you know to take you away some of the time from the stuff that you were kind of having some doubts about but also give you a new level of challenge and other options to explore and then you also have her decide like okay I'm going to start, you know, researching the the adoption stuff and figure out kind of what all that entails. And obviously, that's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. Like, it's not a quick process. But you have her at the end saying, you know, I'm ready to go start putting myself out there, meeting new people, and thinking about what I want to do with the rest of my life. And for her, that's a huge, huge change as a character from where she was in season one. Yeah. And it's a really important change because there's a lot of people who live their lives that way and struggle with feeling unhappy because their own wants are kind of crushed under everybody else. So for them to do that storyline was was really nice and to see it have that resolution where she's okay with realizing that she can want her own life and have goals and have dreams and not feel selfish about it. You've also mentioned sort of in a, a more literal sense, like her valuing her life, uh, the fact that like she needs to survive. Mm. Yeah. So Alex is not a reckless 
person in the sense that she just goes out and like starts shooting without having a strategy. But she does some things that depressed people sometimes will do where you intentionally engage in behaviors that have an element of life-threatening risk to them because you're not necessarily so concerned with your health or survival. And so to see her kind of also recognize like, oh, maybe this isn't necessarily the healthiest thing I could be doing either was um, kind of a big thing for her. Right. And we can't talk about Alex um, and Kara without then discussing John, who's been really important to Alex and Kara's storylines, particularly this season, and is sort of the third major character and third member of the core family unit, Space Fam. Let's talk about Jean's journey of, of identity and kind of how he's just trying to balance his life and do new things. With the introduction introduction of uh, Space Dad's Space Dad. So we talked about how the season three arcs have tied into season two arcs. And with Jean, he shifted from living as Hank Henshaw, um, director of the DEO. And also kind of terrible bigot. Yes. Hella xenophobe who he had to very subtly shift. Try to shift the the political atmosphere in the DEO because he's impersonating a person who hated aliens. There wasn't a lot he could overtly do without arousing suspicion. Yeah. And he, Hank Henshaw, hated aliens like the most. And then also, Jean had some sort of xenophobic inclinations that we saw in season two, Mm -hmm. as far as other aliens being threats. Um, When President Marston introduced the Alien Amnesty Act. Yeah, he was against it. Yeah, he he said stuff like uh, they wouldn't necessarily even understand the rights that you're giving them. And just sort of seeing aliens as a threat to be fought against. And then that ties in a little bit to kind of his past and and some of the traumas he's experienced as a war refugee as well, kind of like Kara. Yeah, and you can kind of see reflected in, you can see his his journey reflected in his, um, how he interacts with Magan and and sees her as um, a threat and imprisons her and then starts to empathize with her over time. And that happens in season two. Mm-hmm. And then when we go into season three, which is very much about Jean figuring out who he is as a green Martian. And as a leader in, in some respects, because you have to remember, you know, after he got discovered as being an alien in season one, he was actually recognized and pardoned by the president and is now running the DEO essentially as himself. But it's like, okay, but who is he as himself? Because he's always been acting essentially as somebody else. Yeah. And it's sort of the shifting of from Hank Henshaw to Jean Henshaw, like this <laughs> fusion. Yeah, this of, hybrid uh, creature. This hybrid of who he had to be and who he's always been. And then he's introduced to his father, and that represents who he was before his very green martianness as opposed to his earthliness yeah and that interestingly was a nice kind of attempt to connect season two to season three because his impetus for going back to mars was magan and her rebellion against the uh the white martian oppression there mm-hmm. and it was also a really intentional parallel to Kara's story as a refugee and kind of a bicultural character because they both deal with a lot of the same problems and he has a few nice moments with her throughout the season where they kind of are discussing that together. But so when he gets back to Mars, and this is, you know, similarly to Kara, this is the first time he's been there since he, he fled and escaped during the war and his family died. He finds out that his father's still alive. Yeah. But it's interesting because the way that he connects with his father is very literate. It's through memories. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a very neat part of Martian culture. I liked how they made that kind of cool yes it was a big theme with their relationship all throughout because jean's trying to remember who like his martian identity and reconnect with it um moving past the grief and and reconnecting with that part of himself Mm -hmm. and then we also have marin who is losing his memories Mm -hmm. so it's the the transfer from um father to son yeah and in, in some senses, again, this also mirrors kind of Kara's issue with 
having had no one to share memories with or talk about it. So it's much more literally displayed. Which is some fun stuff you can do with sci-fi and comic books and all that. Yep. And then and then you also have with the presence of Marin in Jean's life, he's the he's the person who kind of shakes Jean out of his bubble and is like, um, you have no sense of balance or or perspective on what you're doing at all. You know, he calls him out for kind of having his mind always on the DEO and I mean he was freaking living there mm-hmm. literally until episode four or five of season three and he's been the head of the deo now since you know Kara and alex were kids so yeah marin compares it to his prison exactly so he's like you know you may have escaped the prisons on mars but you basically just put yourself in another one mm-hmm. and you're not and he's and I, and the point there you know being you know you're not really living and he, so in that sense john is still kind of like Kara, stuck in grief in some ways mm-hmm. um and kind of like afraid to move forward and and live his life yes and then of course he, he gets burned back and now he has to let go of him again so, yeah, so Jean kind of starts getting this this restoration of some of these parts of his life that he lost only to find out that it's not it's it's going to it's end not sustainable. soon. Yeah, because his his father is losing his memories and essentially has some kind of disease that will shorten his life. It's sort of comparable to um Kara's getting back of like Allure and Argo and then realizing that it's not she can't she can't live that life yeah she can't essentially but and you had a note with a quote that summarized kind of jean's story and kind of the development for him over the course of the season that was i think well chosen which was um marin saying by the end of this you will not feel lost you'll feel complete i promise and he's talking about the transfer of memories and knowledge of of their culture and their people which includes the whole period in which they were you know imprisoned and tortured and Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's a very it's about acceptance. So you can't just remember all the positives and, and even just the culture. You have to embrace the whole picture and for its completion. And it's kind of um, it's a good quote for the whole season, in a sense. Yeah. When they said that, I felt very meta. I was like, oh, and in the next episode, we're going to see we're going to feel that as an audience. We're going to feel complete. <laughs> We're going to feel complete and cleansed and yes. ready to move on. Um, well, and it's funny too, though, with the with the exchange of memories, it reminded me a lot of the book, The Giver, yeah, which is all about, you know, when you repress memories as a culture, you lose a sense of perspective and you lose some of the sense of, of ethics and figuring out like what's right and, and what's wrong. And um, it's only by sharing it that those memories gain strength and have any, any traction, whether they're painful or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that also connects with to um, Jean's decision to move away from the lethal weapons at the DEO. Yes. So as he's moving away from this um, Hank Henshaw, Jean hybrid identity and the sort of xenophobia that is tied with that. And he's, he's embracing the fact that he's too tethered to this role he has to play and he's not connecting both to to people outside of it yeah to people outside of it which means wasn't able to connect to his father he wasn't able to connect to other aliens as much as would be preferable so he ends up getting rid of the the DU's guns lethal guns well he stops viewing everything as ne- not necessarily that he stops viewing threats as hostile but he recognizes, and this is a large part of um, some of the things we saw with many of the characters and, and how they've been impacted by Kara, that being aggressive and confrontational isn't necessarily the, the most effective way to go about it. Like we saw in the background, they never said it explicitly, but you know, you saw that when they walked past the prison cells, there were only three prisoners and they were all very dangerous alien characters that we'd seen in season one or two. And so... In light of kind of some of the other things that were happening all season and then in light of Kara being gone and them promising to kind of, you know, fill that void, his decision to say like, okay, we don't need to go around killing everybody or physically harming them all the time was a really nice nod to the fact that he's recognizing that he's also been impacted 
by the the bonds that he's made in the time that he's been on earth and working with her and mm-hmm. and also acknowledging his own kind of past and his culture uh, as a green martian and they were a peaceful society yeah and it's it's interesting because at the same time it's 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 compassion through connection in a sense mm-hmm. so uh, kind of like how kara was being supergirl kind of above and not connected to the people that she was helping mm-hmm. john wasn't connecting to the people he was helping as a as a um as the martian manhunter yes so he embraces the memories and he accepts the fact that his father's leaving again well his father's dying well yes (laughs) and he decides to really make that make earth his home in a in a broader sense not just select people although he does reconnect to Alex and Kara, I think, on a depot level this season. Yes, very much so. So he hands the DEO over to Alex, and... He hands a lot of the protection expectations to Kara. Yeah. And, and James, even. Mm-hmm. And he basically goes out and lives a life of some sort, which we'll see in Which we'll find four. out with his badass fedora. <laughs> he gets a style and doesn't have to wear those clothes anymore. I know. We didn't find out what Jean wore other than his DEO uniform until the season one finale. So, you know, this is progress. <laughs> this is the real character arc. The real character arc. waiting for Jean's, Jean to get a hat. Jean's wardrobe. You know what I do like about his, his character, though, in the details that we've gotten in terms of costuming and, and set dressing and stuff? Mm-hmm. That he, so much of the culture that he embraces and identifies with is classic, like, 1950s, 60s, like, civil rights era kind of stuff and um in part it goes back to that conversation that he had with um with alex about why he retains the the identity of a black man and how that connects to his his past on mars as a a, an oppressed person who was you know imprisoned and intended to die yeah so it'll be interesting to see who he connects with Mm -hmm. and um what kind of environments he puts himself in too yeah and what kind of role he'll play in in society yeah, like I'm actually really excited to see that because it'll be another way of getting some insight into kind of what's going on in National City, which is a through line that's been lost a bit yes. since, since season one when we kind of pulled away from the journalism stuff. So that should be really cool. Yeah. Alrighty. And then obviously all of our other, what I'll call like supporting main characters went through kind of similar character journeys over the course of of season two into season three that wrapped up with the finale of season Mm -hmm. three as well so we'll talk about monel and as comicer girl aptly named his beard of wisdom you have you know at the start i won't say the start but throughout all of season two he really isn't interested in any of the things kara sees potential in him for he doesn't want to be a superhero, even though he has these extra abilities. He doesn't really see the point in it. He agrees to start learning some of this stuff, but it's specifically so that he can spend time with Kara. Yeah, and then eventually turns into getting Kara to not just like trust him so that they can date, but but really to make her care more for him and be the kind of person that she wants him to be but it's still not about his own morals yeah it's in a way it's almost like an inverse of alex's problem where like she tries to do things for other people but her reasons are because she thinks it matters to those people whereas monel is doing things for other people because it's inherently in his best interest in a self-focused way but yeah, so his his motivations when he ultimately does agree to train with her and kind of go out and work with her, they're not intrinsic motivations. They're not from him recognizing that he has these qualities. They're they're from him being like, "Well, it's a way I can be do an activity with you. That's fine." Which is yes. not necessarily a bad thing because over time those external motivations can become internal and that is clearly what ultimately happened with mm-hmm. him. But even by the season two finale, he was still, he hadn't made it through the full growth curve, obviously, because we had the conflict when Rhea showed up and his solution was, well, we can just run away and then the problem will be gone. And, you know, Kara was like, no, um, we can't do that. Yeah. But 
when we meet him in season three and, you know, he's had this whole other host of experiences, his relationship with Imra, his relationship with Rainy, um, he's he's matured considerably. He His coping skills have improved. You know, he's no longer kind of like drinking and partying away his sadness. He's much more focused. He's kind of realized like, oh, I did have those qualities and I value them. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as... Uh, we skipped past the middle of his his moral journey. Season three is like challenging the beliefs, the, the values that he's built up. Yeah. And I, in terms of saying we skipped the middle, I actually, I, you know, some people sort of complained about that, but I think that was a good decision because this isn't ultimately his story. It's Kara's story. So we don't need to see his whole process in the middle, seeing him kind of near the end point and just finishing it off was sufficient yeah but you know ultimately at the end of season three he's he is making his decisions with an eye on his role and his place in society his role as a leader he has a set of principles and that he wants to uphold and make sure that they they endure and that other people appreciate them and he ultimately ends up making the decision that's the best choice for everyone even though it's not necessarily the best choice for him, which was where Kara was at the end of season two. Yeah, we see a couple sort of inversions of his choices that he made in season two, Mm. like ignoring Kara's wishes as far as protecting her. Yeah. Like he would, he would forego what she said in order to protect her versus when we see him listen to Kara, how she wanted to stay inside the, what's it called? The dream thing. Yeah, the dream. The valley. Valley of the dream. The valley. She wanted to stay in the in the dream valley um, with Alex and Lena and stay there even if she was going to die because she had to complete the mission and she told Manel this. And even though Manel found it to be difficult, which we saw in his nice chat with Jean, mm. he ultimately decided to respect her wishes and do the right thing as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of his relationship to Jean, um, one of my biggest criticisms with, with his character in season two was that he never interacted with any other character besides Kara, even when it would make sense for him to do so because of like an emotional or, or a storyline kind of kinship. So I liked that they they really did correct that this season, particularly having him have that kind of mentory relationship with Jean. And then... Um... The ultimate inversion was when, as opposed to when he wanted to run away with Kara to avoid all of the chaos that was happening in season two to protect her and so that they could stay together, he, at the end of season three, decides to leave to go to the future to protect it rather than to stay with her whom he decided that he does in fact love. Yes. So moving on from Monel, we'll talk about his first arranged marriage partner. So let's talk about Lena. Lena's pretty obvious in, in terms of her identity issues because it's it's in the name, Lena Luther, and um, all the associated traits. Particularly in season three, we see her sort of decide to embrace her own intelligence and her own cunning in a sense, especially when she talks about how she was afraid of her intelligence in that episode, she uses that cunning tricksterness and outsmartiness to <laughs> to catch her mom. And then later on in the season, we see her more and more embrace that aspect of herself, that the scientist essentially mm-hmm. in her. Um, yeah. Because well, ultimately, we and we've seen this a lot throughout season two and season three, her, her goals are often to achieve kind of positive things or pro-social things. You know, she runs the hospital. She saw the transmat portal and immediately thought, like, you could use this to end world hunger because you could move food from one country to another really quickly. You know, she does have her eye on trying to do things that will benefit people. But we saw her issue when she starts kind of embracing more of that heritage that she was kind of closing off from is that she doesn't question whether or not her methods are necessarily appropriate or the best choice. Yeah. And it's also that very scientist question of like, we can do this, but should we? Exactly. She's sort of pushing the envelopes for 
um, scientific advancement with um, all of the, all of these dangerous elements, and she's not really checking herself, and she's not allowing other people to make those checks for her. No, and she in fact resents it when other people act as something of a check on her, which is interesting and very in keeping with her character in terms of who she is 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 a so in in terms of like her her social identity as a very wealthy well-educated white person so that was interesting to see develop particularly in conjunction with her inherent underlying xenophobia which which Kara sometimes deals with and also in um the scenes this season of of lena and james as their relationship is developing and you're starting to see some areas where they don't agree because of how how different their upbringings and their experiences in society are Yes, and it also connects to her um, her mental health issues with regard to her emotionally abusive mother and starting to see her mother in actions that are not emotionally abusive and that sort of underlying distrust on top of all those other things. You mean her accusation to Supergirl? Yes. Well, she says to Kara about Supergirl oh, okay. that it's something her mother would do. And I felt like that was a good tie-in to her whole... Yeah, because of her history with, with her family, her perception of of how relationships are handled and, and what loyalty is and whether there's room for forgiveness or not is very out of whack. Yeah. She's making incremental progress. At least she has since the beginning of season two. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of the standout character for somebody who hasn't made positive progress with her identity issues and um, moving forward at this stage in season three. Yeah. So for her, her journey, as far as who she, understanding who she is as a person and, and embracing it fully isn't over in the same way that some of these other storylines kind of wrapped up. Like obviously nobody's identity storyline is over because you grow and you change throughout your life. But hers was really the only one where she's still kind of stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll likely see, we'll definitely see more of that <laughs> in season four. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I do want to say with regard to Lena and the, and the mental health issue, because I've gotten a couple asks about this as well, is that emotional abuse is incredibly difficult to overcome and it takes a very long time. So it's not surprising to me that hers, her particular storyline on this front is kind of more of a slow burn than a lot of the other ones yeah. like with Kara with um, PTSD. Cognitive stuff is very hard because you have to recognize first that you have faulty thought patterns and you have to actively work against them all of the time to fix and, them. And developmental stuff that she has to rebuild herself from the um, childhood she had. She has to re-evaluate her entire experiences from when she was six to now and learn how to have relationships. Yeah, and she hasn't had something yet that's really pushed her to recognize that she needs to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, she's only, she's making progress because she's got a group of people around her who are kind, supportive, forgiving people who are willing to work with her. And that's made things better better in some respects, but she still has a ways to go. Mm-hmm. And so since we're on the topic of Lena, we can move on to Lena's good friend, James Olson, <laughs> the guardian. An apt name. So James in season two, we saw the start of him having issues. He, he, went, he decided to become guardian. Mm-hmm. And then the reception of guardian has not been what he pictured, what he wanted for Guardian. He wanted to, since he's looking up to people like Superman, who was such an influential role in his life, and now Supergirl, and they're such symbols for the people, hopeful symbols, safe symbols. We saw a little bit in season two how he scares people instead, and he, he's more, and in season three, they compare him to Batman, a, a vigilante, mm-hmm. sort of that concept. And they're exploring this in season three. It's sort of, his identity issue is people's perception of him as a vigilante when, in fact, he wants to be a, a hero for the people, a symbol. Yeah. And this was an outgrowth of kind of his dilemma in season two of, you know, do I always want to be the photographer and, you know, the, the journalist or do I want to be out there where I'm physically 
able to see that I'm making a difference as opposed to, you know, trying to do it from behind a desk. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because he starts off only connecting through people and not being out there on the streets and, and physically helping people. And then he switches over to Guardian and then suddenly that's all he is, is is like a body out on the streets, mm. a sort of like a soldier on the streets. And he kind of loses that aspect of connection to the people that he had previously. So it's, in a way, it's kind of like a fusion of James Olsen, CEO of Catco, and The Guardian. Yeah, and actually season three integrated those two roles a little bit better because you did see James at work more and interacting with people in his role as a journalist and as the CEO of Catco a lot more than you did in season two. And we also had a little bit more insight into his past and how he connects with Kara because of his history with Clark, like the scene in The Faithful that they talked about. And we got that beautiful scene that he did in the fanatical episode. Yes. Talking about his his past and, and his experiences with racism. And how all of those things have have been there kind of driving him to this point of, of wanting to be a hero in his own right, but finding the right way to, to do it and to balance his need for safety and his need for protection. As we saw, he needed that helmet since that girl shot him in the head, but also with, you know, recognizing that, that people can't relate to that because he's just in this full suit of armor and that having that access to the humanity without the mask makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. James ultimately decides to come out as the Guardian to basically fuse his identities because they were ineffectual on their own. Well, they were less effectual. Yeah. He wasn't satisfied with them and he wasn't able to do the things that he really wanted to do in the first place. So everyone knows that James Olsen is Guardian now. Yep. So we'll probably see some ramifications of that next season. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, because um, I feel like some people are probably not going to be thrilled with the idea that the head of one of the largest media companies in the country is also running around sending people to jail uh, in his free time. Um, <laughs> and speaking of... We all have our hobbies. <laughs> we do all have our hobbies. But so in relation to James and, uh, and, and The Guardian, you know, James would never have been The Guardian if not for Wynn. And Wynn has had some stuff he's been kind of going through. Some of it started in season one, but within season two and season three, with feeling kind of stuck in his role as the tech support. Um, you know, you had that great scene in um, season two where he jokes about not being the red shirt because he really, he really feels like he's not contributing to the team because he doesn't know how to fight. So to have that, that closing beat for him be the recognition that he is very much still a part of the team and a very valuable contributor was a very fitting journey for him and also incredibly touching as viewers who, who've seen him kind of grow since season one. Um, and the other thing that you saw with him grappling with his identity again in, in season three was kind of coming to a conclusion on how he felt about the legacy of his father as the toy man and understanding the perception of who he thought his parents were in a very new light and reconsidering what that meant for him. Because, you know, he had talked about in season one, always being afraid that his genes were these ticking time bombs because he and his father were so similar and he shared that passion for creating and inventing. And Wynn is at this really low point at the very end of the season because someone just died as a result of one of his creations. But then Brainy comes in, someone who's been kind of critical of Wynn all season, and is like, actually, the stuff that you created saved a whole bunch of people, and you're awesome. Yeah, and we basically see him go from fearing that he's going to become this monster because of his skills to seeing that he is a hero because of these same skills. And like he gets a literal like, by the way, the future is all awesome because of you. And the other thing that's important with Wynn is that that resolution for Wynn also ties back to the decisions that both James and Jean made throughout the season. You know, James talks about he made the conscious choice to have his primary weapon be a shield, you know, very much like Captain America or like Wonder Woman. He wanted to be seen as a figure of stability, of safety, of protection. 
Jean also making the same decision of saying, you know, I don't want to be seen as this gun-toting law enforcement crazy person. I want to be seen as someone who who is out there stopping the bad guys, but not in a way that's perceived as necessarily harmful. All of that comes back to the fact that, that they trust Wynn to be capable of getting them to that point. Um, and the same with Alex, actually, because all of Alex's new gadgets, her new weapons, none of those are actually lethal. Yeah. And of course, he made the very first... Kara's suit. Yeah. So it was, that was a very fitting journey for him and it was really nice the way they closed it but they left it open to us seeing where he goes from here in the future yes he also um in terms of his potential Mm. the sky's the limit in the future for him so that'll be interesting and last but not least in our character breakdown for season three we need to talk about poor sam (laughs) poor sam we say poor sam also rain Less poor Rain. (laughs) Rain I don't have really sympathy for. Um, But that was a very literal identity crisis in some ways. I won't say, well, it was a crisis. That's the right word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So when we were first introduced to her, we had this very every woman conflict that, that Kat used to talk about with how was she trying to balance being a CEO or CFO or whatever of L Corp and also stay on top of things as a single mom and a young single mom with a nearly teenage daughter. And then that morphed into a much more blatant and dire conflict um, between her literal self as Sam versus Rain as this kind of almost parasite, essentially, that was taking over her body and her personality. Which is, again, a very literal representation of her mental health theme, which they described it as a split personality. She was a nice, tangible representation of this issue of identity and um, mental health. And ultimately, as expected, well, it wasn't really expected. I think a lot of people were afraid that she was going to die, or that Ruby was going to die. But this is a hopeful show. And Sam split from Rain and connected more deeply with her daughter, and they developed some more trust that was threatened at the beginning of the season with the introduction of Rain. And, and we did see Sam kind of finally ultimately accepting. Well, it, one of the biggest pieces of progress for Sam was that she, like Lena, is very self-reliant for a number of reasons related to upbringing. And so one of the biggest changes for her throughout the season was, you know, she started accepting that she had other people who were reliable, who she could count on when, when things were going wrong or when she needed help. She was actively asking for help in the back of the season, but (laughs) she, she got there. She understood that, you know, she, it kind of goes back to, you know, the, the Elmayara theme, which was represented by Sam giving Ruby the necklace and telling her about it. That recognition that, you need a network of people to be a balanced, healthy person. You can't do it yourself. Which was the lesson for quite a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. Cara had to reconnect to Cara Danvers, which was basically her through line to the relationships in her life. Jean had to connect as well. Same thing with James. Alex as, Alex as well, because she kind of came out of her funk by re-embracing her, her relationships with her family. Yes. And when. Because Wynn was affected by everybody else, you know, caring about him and believing in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So super unsurprisingly, the message is stronger together and rely on <laughs> the people in your life to help you figure yourself out. Well, and ask for help. Yeah. But the other thing, you know, it's funny you say that unsurprisingly, that Stronger Together was the theme. Last year, it was almost completely absent for a large part of the season. So to see that reassert itself so nicely and so subtly, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the season yeah. one sledgehammer <laughs> approach, um, was a nice a nice bit of, of reworking of kind of how they build themes and display them and get the messages and the values of the show out. So that was an, a nice improvement, if, in my opinion. Yeah. The themes of the season were what made it for me. They got better at integrating them. Yeah, it was. And it, and it wasn't quite as in your face, which 
It works for me, but obviously it does not work for everyone because there were even a lot of review, like real reviews, seemed a little bit lost at times as to what they thought were the character conflicts because they weren't as explicitly spelled out as they have been in seasons past. So hopefully kind of with us walking through some of this and explaining kind of how it was developed and and where it fell within the season and, and how it manifested in the characters has helped make a bit more sense out of some of the things that felt abstract. Yes. The message of the season is basically that things are going to be okay. So, which we saw Queller and Robner, these are the showrunners, had an interview and Queller said, we discussed all options, but we really feel like we needed a heartwarming ending after all the trauma we put everyone through, which is, this was a dark season, but you can see something I thought was neat was after the teaser of every episode, which is like... So you mean like the opening? Like the... When they set up all the action, yeah, the first like part of the episode, and then Mm. they cut to the super crest. The logo, uh, yeah. The S, yeah. And then they cut to commercial. Mm -hmm. Um, The music over that crest has gradually gotten more hopeful over the season and it was such a stark really yeah it was, it was such a stark contrast at the very beginning like when you first see that crest it's it's in the dark and there's just like one light shining on the top of it and it's like the emotional equivalent of wah, wah, wah. <laughs> compared to like previous season where the music's all it, it hypes you up um it gets you excited for action yeah um, and it was like these these like dark drums Before it was Maggie saying she doesn't even stop stop for autographs anymore. Mm, yeah. And then we cut to the end of the season and it's the same image, which is dark and the crest is there and there's one light shining on it. But this time, like heroic strings and it's kind of sounds like the theme a little bit. That's really cool that you noticed that because the I haven't... But, but yeah. yeah, I think that it's a nice image too because it's very symbolic, like in the darkness, and then there's the one light at the end of the tunnel type deal. Um, well, and someone else on Tumblr also asked me if they thought if I thought that that was related to kind of the faith theme that was running through the whole season, with especially with the idea of the cults and people kind of thinking of Supergirl as this like larger than life figure because yes. it, it does look a little bit like that light streaming down from above, like which was an interesting catch, whoever that was. Mm-hmm like slightly eerie but also kind of angelic yes and that's how you know that you know things behind the scenes have changed and much and gelled together much more because the production on a lot of levels is much more everything is serving the narratives and it's serving those character beats all the way down to that little detail of that like five seconds before the episode cuts to commercial yeah, and I think that might have to do with the showrunners being purposefully more collaborative. Yes. Which they've, they've talked about. Speak, speaking of being stronger together. Yes. So it's nice when the behind the scenes starts to reflect the message of the show. Yeah, I mean, and you also saw it on kind of a cinematography level and in a, a momentum kind of way in terms of the episodes that like the ABC storyline, sometimes there would be very deliberate camera work to make you notice that they were stories that were supposed to mirror each other or for example like the season three premiere had a lot of scenes that were shot very deliberately like the pilot to make you recognize you know that Kara was kind of behaving like Alex even though she was being so distant from everyone because that's the person that she draws a lot of strength from when she's down but also structurally you also had you know every episode was ending on a forward thinking note of okay well what's coming next and they did it. They did that. Actually, I thought that was probably the biggest success of the finale. Speaking of moving forward, we had that lovely final moment of Kara and Alex and Kara affirming, you know, we're going to be okay. Kind of coming back to her, the optimistic girl she has always been. And then we had that cut scene surprise, which wasn't a pod for a change. Yeah, switch it up occasionally. <laughs> I mean, we were gunning for crypto. But as I pointed out, we could still get crypto because Rush is cold and there are big fluffy dogs out there. Just saying. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Well, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be. I know people disagree with me on this, but I'm thinking it's going to be a lighter season just because. I mean, after this season, how can he not? <laughs> yeah. Like there'll still be like struggles and stuff, but oh yeah, but I I think especially where we've had Kara on this this two season arc of kind of hitting a low and coming back up from it, I think we're probably going to see, especially since they rounded out all the characters and put them in kind of like a a reset space. I -hmm. think we're going to see a little bit closer return to the tone of being a little bit more upbeat from from the first season i don't i don't know that necessarily they'll go all the way back there but there's also the possibility of the reintegration of kako yes Um, potentially but we do know that character a a trans character superhero yes is coming up which is really exciting and definitely not something we've seen yet in the action genre i don't think on or certainly not on primetime tv no and we have a brainy joining the team which will be interesting i love a good it's always entertaining to watch characters try to understand sort of normal things to us yes like reconceptualizing things the way that um that marin did. did yeah i liked that a lot it was it added some nice levity to to an otherwise very dark season yes and it'll be a little bit different if, if for brainy but mm-hmm. um still interesting to see yeah um so i'm excited for that i'm excited for whatever the red sun mystery is that we're gonna have with Kara. and um obviously they needed lena to hang on to a little bit of that space rock so that eventually we can solve whatever this problem is with Kara. <laughs> um <laughs> And speaking of the Harunel, I think they also left the door open for us to see Argo City again. I don't think it's gone. And I, and I think we might get yeah. a little bit more development there at some point down the line. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be right away in any sense. but um. No, I don't think necessarily right away because I think, especially with kind of the hints that they've made about the crossover this season and, and having looked a little bit into what the Red Sun original story entails... I think probably the front third of the season is going to be dealing with that for the most part. So we enjoyed the season in no small part because of these themes. And we'll very likely have more episodes this summer. So you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as Supergirls Attic, one word, to ask questions or suggest podcast topics. 